0: Thank you so much, Mark, and praise team how much we appreciate your ministry to us this morning. Mark, we love not only your leading, but also your very precious praying to us. And so, thank you very, very much. Bill Thrasher is a professor at Moody Bible Institute. And he wrote a very wonderful book on prayer entitled, A Journey to Victorious Praying. In this book, he told about a friend in California who one day in a restaurant noticed some people bowing to pray, and after he finished his meal, he walked by their table and he thanked them. He said, it's so encouraging to see people acknowledging the Lord. They responded, oh, we weren't acknowledging the Lord. We were praying to Satan that he would discourage
1: every pastor's wife. Did you know there are people praying to Satan to discourage Christians? Startling, isn't it? I have a question this morning.
0: Do we take Satan as seriously as those
1: people do? That's a good question, isn't it? If there was ever anyone in the Bible
0: who should have taken Satan seriously, it was Judas. Do you know twice in Scripture the Bible says that Satan entered into Judas? Once in Luke 22, 3, and once in John thirteen, twenty-seven, the Bible says that about no one else in all of Scripture. It is absolutely astounding when you look at the life of Judas that Satan could gain such control over a man. Now this morning, our sermon is a study on Satanology. Satanology is the study of the person and work of Satan. And every Christian who takes Satan seriously ought to be informed on Satanology. Today, we're going to see a contrast between two men, Judas and John. All the disciples were present at the Last Supper. But in this scene that we're going to look at today, there is a very special focus upon John and Judas. John was transformed by the love of Jesus, and Judas was destroyed by Satan's power. By the way, there's always a choice, isn't there? We can't be neutral, we must choose. It is either Jesus or Satan. Either Jesus is having his way in our lives or Satan is having his way. And the consequences for all of us are extremely serious. This morning, I want to come back to our series on the Last Supper. And I want to bring a message. It's the second message in our series entitled, Love and Betrayal. And we're going to see the choices that are available to all of us in this contrast between the power of Satan and the love of Jesus. Let's take a moment, shall we, just before we look together at God's word, just to bow our hearts together and ask the Lord to teach us and to help us. Father, today... I'm sure that there's not a one of us who doubts the reality of Satan. And we are aware that the Bible says he is our arch enemy. God, we know that he is a much better student of us than we are of him. But we're so thankful for two very wonderful truths. that The Bible says greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. And therefore, we need not fear Satan. Yet another great truth is the Bible reveals to us his strategy, how he works. And understanding his strategy through the power of the love of Christ, we can overcome him. And so today, I pray that by the power of your Spirit who is present, you would be our teacher and our instructor
1: And help all of us to make the right choice. For we ask it in Jesus' wonderful name.
0: Amen. I want you to turn with me to John 13 this morning. The first contrast we are going to see in this passage is a contrast in offers. A contrast in offers. We're going to see that the way Jesus works is he offers us the blessings of faith. Now let's pick up the story at verse 18 where we left off last week and notice what the Bible says. Jesus said, I'm not speaking of all of you. I know whom I have chosen, but the scripture will be fulfilled. He who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. I am telling you this now before it takes place, that when it does take place, you may believe that I am he. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever receives the one I send receives me, and whoever receives me receives the one who sent me. Now, John tells us in these verses that Jesus told the disciples about the betrayer. Because he wanted to strengthen their faith, he says in verse 19, I'm telling you these things that you may believe. Jesus knew that if they were not forewarned about the events that were going to come, that it would shake their faith when things got rough. Jesus was telling them that despite the coming betrayal, the coming arrest, The coming trial, beating, crucifixion, and death, in spite of all of that, it would be worth it for them to continue to follow our Lord. Now, what is it that Jesus says in these verses that caused them to believe that the path that they were on was worth following our Lord Jesus? Well, I want you to notice three things that Jesus said to them that are true about us. Number one, he said they were an intimate fellowship with a king who would prevail. Look at verse 18, and and Jesus here quotes from Psalm 41, 9. When he says, I want you to understand the scripture has to be fulfilled. He who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. Now Psalm 41, 9 was David's reflection upon the betrayal of Ahithophel, who was his trusted counselor. You may remember that just like Judas, Ahithophel became disillusioned and very bitter with King David. He joined Absalom in his coup against David, and he chose the wrong side. The Bible tells us in First Samuel that when Absalom was killed, Ahithophel could not deal with the consequences that he knew were coming, and so he committed suicide. Now what Jesus was saying is that Judas would do the very same. Thinking that Jesus would fail, he betrayed him, and then later, in remorse and regret, he committed suicide. And now what Jesus was letting his disciples know That Just as David prevailed, so Jesus would also prevail, and they were in fellowship with the king. I want you to notice the second thing that Jesus told them. He told them they were following a prophet who knew the future. Look again at verse 19. He says, I am telling you this now before it takes place, that when it does take place, you may believe that I am he. What Jesus was saying was he was able to predict the future. And the only one who can predict the future is God. That's why we find the familiar refrain again where Jesus says, I am he, the claiming deity. Therefore, what the Lord was saying to his disciples is your future is secure because I am already in the future knowing what is coming. Third thing he told them, they would join both the Father and the Son in a mission with the very authority of God. Look at verse 20 again. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever receives the one I send receives me, and whoever receives me receives the one who sent me. And so what Jesus was saying to them is there is a train from the Father to his disciples. The Father sent the Son. The Son would now turn around and send the disciples. And they would be on a mission with the very authority of God that would not fail. Now I want you to think about this this morning. All three of these things are true of every one of us who believe. They are true of everyone whom we reach. We are in intimate fellowship with a king who will prevail. That king is God who knows the future and is already in the future, so our future is secure. And he has sent us on a mission that is connected to his son and back to the father, and therefore we are on a mission with the very authority of God. Can I say to you this morning, it is worth it to follow Jesus. It is worth
1: it to follow Jesus. Now Judas heard all of this. In
0: fact, as it is going to become clear, Jesus
1: wanted Judas to respond. Why did he betray him? Well, it's the other side of this
0: contrast of offers. Satan offers the benefits of sin. Satan offers the benefits of sin. The Bible tells us that there is pleasure in sin for a season. And I want you to look back for just a moment at verse 2 and notice what it says. During the supper that evening, When the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. Now what we must understand is that Satan appealed to what was already there in the heart of Judas. James, when he talks about how temptation works in James 1.14 says, each one is drawn away and enticed by his own desire. And Satan simply appeals to what is already present by virtue of sinful desires. Now, as we begin to look at the gospel record, it becomes very clear to us that Judas was following Jesus for personal gain and accomplishment. The Bible says earlier in John, in chapter 12, that Judas was a thief. And Jesus had given him charge of the money bag that, that held the treasury for the apostolic band. And he would pilfer money from that treasury. And we can begin to see in the life of Judas what happened. Like all of the other disciples, he had a grand vision of the kingdom that was going to come. But as Jesus began to talk about rejection. Betrayal, beating, crucifixion, and death. Judas became disillusioned. That disillusionment turned into anger, and that anger turned into callousness. Would you please always recognize that? Disillusionment is one step from anger. Anger is one step from callousness. And when we are one step from callousness, Satan can do great work in our life. Satan, Judas decided that he would not waste three and a half precious years with Jesus for nothing. He would get what he could, 30 pieces of silver. And all Satan had to do was fan the flame. And Judas was hooked. All of us have asked this question as we have thought about the life of Judas. This question is so critical that every one of us has thought about it. Why did Judas betray Jesus? Now, scripture is not crystal clear and specific. But as you begin to put it together, these things start to come into focus. He didn't love Jesus. He was using him. Secondly, he expected an earthly kingdom, and he wanted a leading role. And then finally, Judas found that Jesus did not meet his expectations. Let me just say to all of us this morning, these are all the ingredients that Satan needs to infiltrate our hearts. Things are not going in our lives the way that we expected. Maybe our plans are not working out as we anticipated. Maybe the Christian life has become much harder than we thought. And obedience to God is not as fulfilling as perhaps we had anticipated. And all Satan does then is dangle another way in front of us. Maybe we
1: know it's not right. Maybe it involves some sort of sin. But in our hearts, we say, it'll make me happy. It'll make me happy. And when that happens... We turn from the path of faith
0: into the influence of Satan. Now, as we continue in this story and in these events, we discover that Satan works in another way in contrast to Jesus. There's also in this passage a contrast between hearts, a contrast between hearts. And I want you to notice how Jesus works. Jesus softens the heart. That's how he works. As we look at what unfolded that evening in the upper room and at the Last Supper, what we're going to discover is that Jesus was working to soften the heart of Judas. Judas. In fact, what Jesus does is he prolongs the ordeal of exposure, and the reason he does is he wants to increase the pressure on Judas's conscience. His desire in all of these actions is to melt the traitor's heart before it is too late. Let me just say to us this morning, Jesus does the same with us. Jesus is always working in the life of people to to soften our heart. And you can see exactly what he did in his loving actions towards Judas. Let's look at verses 21 to 26 for just a moment and you see if you can pick out the actions. After saying these things, Jesus was troubled in his spirit and testified. Truly, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. The disciples looked at one another, uncertain of whom he spoke. One of his disciples, whom Jesus loved, was reclining at the table with by Jesus' side. So Simon Peter motioned to him to ask Jesus of whom he was speaking. So that disciple, leaning back against Jesus, said to him, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, It is he to whom I will give this morsel of bread when I have dipped it. So when he had dipped the morsel, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. Notice how Jesus was working to soften the heart of Judas. In verse 21, we read that as he prepared to mention that there was a betrayer, That he was troubled. He was troubled. That is a word that refers to deep anguish. It is the same word that is used of Lazarus' death when Jesus stood at his graveside and saw what death had done to the family of Lazarus. In that episode, this word is translated greatly troubled. So visible was this anguish on the face of Jesus that when he made the announcement about the betrayer, the disciples could see the emotional pain in his face. See, Jesus had chosen Judas for greater things. And it hurt him deeply to see the decision that Judas was going to make. If there is anything at all that should have broken Judas, it should have been the broken heart of Jesus for him. As Judah sat at the table that evening, he could see in the very eyes of Jesus and on his countenance the pain of a friend he had been with for three and a half years. It was the love of Jesus reaching out to soften his heart. The second thing we notice in this section is that it is very possible that Judas was seated immediately to Jesus' left, which would have meant he had the second place of highest honor. Now, we cannot be sure about this arrangement, but most Bible students, in fact, every Bible student that I read sees it exactly like this artist saw it. Jesus was the host at the table. John, the beloved disciple, was on the right. We know that because he was able to lean back on Jesus' chest and ask him the question that Peter asked him to ask. Peter was some distance away from Jesus because he had to motion to John to ask Jesus who it was. And Judas was likely on the left because he was close enough to Jesus so that he could easily hand him the morsel of food. This was an extraordinary act of kindness on the part of Jesus Because it meant he honored Judas at the Passover. By the way, you know what the Bible says? The Bible says it is the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. We often think it is the the wrath of God, the, the threatening of judgment that brings us to our knees. But the Bible says it is the kindness of God That brings us to repentance. The third act we see in this scene is the dipping of the morsel. And the giving of it to Judas. At a banquet when a host would dip a morsel in the dish. And give it to somebody. It was a sign of friendship and great honor. One Bible student has said this. This was Jesus' final gesture of supreme love for Judas. And look at the irony in the story. What signaled the betrayal to John was to stop the betrayal to Judas. It was an act of kindness that said to him, Even now I offer you kindness, love, acceptance. And friendship. Can anyone here this morning say together with me, how patient is the love of Christ? How patient is He? Think of His patience in your own life, how patient a God He is. And He is patient because He reaches out in kindness to soften our hearts. Now as I look at this, I have to say, how is it that Jesus could be resisted by Judas after all of this? And the answer is the second part of this contrast. It is very, very clear
1: that Satan works to harden the heart. Satan works to harden the heart. The Bible in Hebrews 3.13
0: talks about being hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Paul in 1 Timothy 4.2 speaks of the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared. Judas had become so comfortable with his own sin he could not
1: feel his own conscience. Can I say to you this morning, over the years of my ministry, I've counseled many, many people. There have
0: been some people who have sat in my office and have, I have counseled them.
1: I have thought to myself, they don't have a healthy conscience. They don't have a conscience that is working properly. And how does a person get to a
0: state where their conscience is not healthy, it is not working properly? I think one of the most penetrating verses in all of the Bible is so effective at this very point. Would you read with me these words from Proverbs 29.1? It is the reason why some people do not have an effectively working conscience. Please read it with me. He who has often reproved, yet stiffens his
1: neck, will suddenly be broken beyond healing. This is what happened to Judas. And it can happen to anyone the Lord reaches out to us. He reaches out to us. He reaches out to us through His kindness and even His reproof. But if we harden
0: ourselves to His kindness, our hearts can become harder and harder. And then suddenly there comes a day where like Judas, the Bible
1: says, we are beyond healing. Am I speaking to anyone today who that may be happening in your life?
0: The Lord is reaching out to you with His goodness.
1: But you are hardening yourself against Him. the longer you continue in that process, the day you may come to the place where healing is beyond you. I've witnessed to many NMU students over the 11 years that I've been here.
0: Two that break my heart are two that I had the privilege of witnessing to within the last three years. I went to their residences, one a home, the other on campus with others from Bethel. And we shared the gospel with them. We met them on more than one occasion and ministered to them. I longed to see them break free from Satan's grip on their life through
1: drugs and other sin. They would not. They would not. They hardened
0: themselves against Jesus' love through us.
1: And then the day came when I heard both of them had died tragically, unexpectedly. And way too young. And as I think of them now, I just
0: had a conversation this week about the second one
1: about what examples of what happened to Judas.
0: Now, as we continue on in this contrast, we discover there are contrasts of purposes. Now, I want you to notice that both Jesus and Satan had purposes. Jesus' purpose was to control for love's purpose. To control for love's purpose. Would you look at verse 27? The Bible says that after he had taken the morsel, Satan entered into him. Jesus said to him, what you're going to do, do quickly. Now, no one at the table knew why he said this to him. Some thought that because Judas had the money bag, Jesus was telling him, buy what we need for the feast or that he should give something to the poor. Did you notice the tremendous contrast between Judas and John? There is a subcontrast here in this passage. It's not only between Jesus and Satan. But there is a subcontrast between Judas and John. This is the first place in the Gospel of John where John referred to himself as the one whom Jesus loved. Look back at verse 23. One of his disciples, the one whom Jesus loved, was reclining at table at Jesus' side. That reference, the one whom Jesus loved, is pretty well identified with John the Apostle. This is the first time this occurs. And we have to ask, why didn't John name himself? And I think part of the answer is this. He was so overwhelmed at the love of Jesus for him that he wanted no attention drawn to himself. That when you have experienced the grace and love of Jesus and you are in his presence, You want it to be all about him. John was already beginning to experience the humility that Jesus called for in the foot washing we saw last week. Uh, The grace of Christ had so transformed him, he now became a vessel of love to others. Uh, You may be very well understanding that John became known as the apostle of love. And more than any other apostle, in his writings, John focuses upon the love of God. Notice the other detail about John. In verse 25, John referred to Jesus as Lord.
1: As Lord. Let me say to you, it's always the way it works. When Jesus
0: becomes Lord, And your life becomes all about his love. But notice the other side, Satan's purpose. Satan controls for his purposes. Verse 27 says, Satan entered into Judas. And we have to ask the question,
1: how did Satan enter this man? Can I give you the answer? Judas gave him permission. He invited him in.
0: Many years ago, there was a well-known pastor in Boston by the name S.D. Gordon. He founded Gordon Christian College and is uh, co-named in Gordon-Conwell Theological Seminary in Boston. <coughs> Listen to what S.D. Gordon said that is so relevant to us at this point. It is startling to think that Satan can actually come into the heart of a man in such close touch with Jesus as Judas was. And more. He is cunningly trying to do it today. Yet he can only get in through a door opened from inside. Every man controls the door of his own life. Satan can't get in
1: without our help. Isn't it clear that that is the stark contrast here in this story? John chose Jesus and became the apostle of love.
0: Judas chose Satan and became the betrayer. And the choice ever remains the same. The choice ever remains
1: the same. You know how this story ends.
0: So after receiving the morsel of bread, verse 30,
1: he immediately went out And it was night. In John's gospel, night is always a symbol of spiritual darkness. John, thinking back
0: many years as Judas left that evening with a hardened heart,
1: opened the door, and it was night. John, who can never think, but in
0: contrast of light and darkness, knew that this is a reference to two destinies. And the final contrast in this episode is a contrast of destinies. For Judas, it is the darkness of death. For John and the other disciples, it is the light of life. And you know how the story ends. Judas was overcome with a self-centered remorse, but there was no repentance for sin. He went back to the priests and tried to give the 30 pieces of silver back, but they said, what is that to us? And they refused to receive it. He threw it on the floor of the
1: temple. And in a sorrow that overwhelmed him, he hanged himself.
0: But you remember what Jesus said to the other disciples. He said, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in darkness,
1: but shall have the light of life. And they continued on And the destiny of eternal life with Jesus. This morning, this is a study of Satanology.
0: It is how he works versus how Jesus
1: works. There's always a choice, no one can be neutral. One of the great Christian
0: leaders who felt all of these realities very deeply was C.S. Lewis. In fact, he wrote a famous book called The Screwtape Letters in which he wrote about how Satan works. Let me share with you, as I close this morning, what Lewis said in that book Let it penetrate our hearts today very
1: deeply. Said Lewis, the safest road to hell is the gradual one. The gentle slope. The soft underfoot.
0: Without sudden turnings. Without
1: milestones. Without signposts. I'm sure Judas never began thinking that Satan would enter into him.
0: I'm sure that he perhaps didn't realize what was taking place, that there was a battle far beyond him that he was playing into. But surely, slowly, perceptively, he began to come
1: under the influence of Satan until it was too late. And this morning, I pray for you. And I pray for me.
0: Jesus has placed this here that we might choose Him and His love And recognize
1: the working of the evil one. Let's respond to him now. As we prepare to meet with Jesus around his table. Please bow together with me in prayer. I believe that you are not here today by accident. I believe that Christ has drawn you here. And if you are like most people,
0: you probably rarely give thought to Satan.
1: You certainly do not believe that he could be in control of your life. But as I said as we began,
0: it is Jesus or Satan... Jesus is having his way or Satan is having his way. And I wonder today if you have recognized which one it is in your life. Just before we gather around the
1: table and we fellowship with our Lord who is present, I want to give you an opportunity to turn to our Savior. Maybe at this very moment, you're on the fence with the
0: Lord. Maybe things haven't gone well in your life or you've been disillusioned. Maybe the Christian life has not turned out to be
1: all that you've expected it to be. Today you're wondering if it is worth it. And Jesus
0: speaks to you to say, yes it is, yes it is there's a test going on for control. And this moment as we are bowed before the Lord,
1: would you say, Lord, I want to love you. I want to be in fellowship with you. I want to follow you. Though the disciples could not have known
0: what was coming in the future and how difficult it would be, That is true of me. But I believe who you are and what you said about yourself. I believe what you've done for me. I believe that you will not
1: fail. That there is a kingdom coming. And you offer me to be a part of that. And today, recognizing the strategy of Satan, I cling to you. I trust you. Strengthen my resolve. Strengthen my commitment. Strengthen my love. Lord Jesus, today I trust you. I follow you. Come what may. For your blessed sake. Amen.